Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. I'm back. Thank you for joining me again, and I hope you're all well. I'm so excited to kick things off with a chat I had with Sophie at the Infertile Midwife a few weeks ago. Sophie featured on the podcast nearly exactly a year ago, and I know her story touched so many of you. So to be able to share the next chapter in her journey is nothing but a pure privilege. Enjoy. Hi Sophie, um, thank you so much for joining me today. I just realised actually that it's been just under a year since um, since we last spoke. I think it was November was the last issue, and I think um, last time you came on the podcast. And I think we probably spoke a few weeks before that. And um, yeah, so here we are again, one year on. I can't believe it's been a year. That's gone so quickly. It feels like we only just spoke. Has it, has it gone quickly for you? Yeah, really quickly. Funny, funny. Well, um, I'm really, really, really pleased to have you on um, again and in, um, in these lovely circumstances. Um, so you've agreed to come on and, um, and talk about... Um, I guess pregnancy after loss and tell us about Percy um, if you're happy to, to just go crack on and do that because I think we when we left off um, you were obviously understandably still in a very very painful place with, with Cecil and Wilfred um, so from that point onwards um, what happened we, we you went back into um, fertility treatment yeah so I can't remember Exactly when I spoke to you last, but I had, um, I did, I did the embryo banking. I spoke, I think I spoke to you at the end of that and I did a fresh transplant at the end of that and that failed. Um, and typical me straight back on the horse. Um, for the next cycle, I did a frozen transfer, um, which was my first ever frozen transfer. Um, and only my third transfer in total. Um, and it worked. Um, and weirdly, I kind of knew it was going to work. I just had a feeling and, um, and we had, yeah, the transfer was, it was actually just like the most magical day ever. And mm. um, it was beginning of December and it was kind of COVID, um, you know, back down in lockdown and things like that, uh, or just before the lockdown. And James we drove to the clinic and James couldn't come in. But what we always do when we get there is there's a coffee shop and we would always go and get like a, a drink and a snack. And um, so we, and it was all decorated in Christmas decorations. Um, and so we sat down and did our normal thing of like having a drink. And obviously I needed to fill up my bladder. And then I went upstairs to the transfer. So it was a bit of a shame that James couldn't come with me, but actually, even though he wasn't there, it was just the loveliest transfer ever. And, um, they, um, can you explain that sentence to somebody who's not been through a transfer? It's a funny sentence. Well, because I'd been like literally the clinic's best customer since like May, because <laughs> I did four egg collections and another transfer, I'd been there literally, you know, every other day for like four or five months. And so 
it was like all the team that I knew and everyone was so chatty and they said, oh, what, what do you want to listen to on the radio? And I, or, or like on, um, on Spotify or whatever. And I said, why don't we put some Christmas songs on? Even though it was only like the 3rd of December. Oh, um, so we put put on Christmas mode. Come on. Oh yeah, I was like, we well, we put our decorations up that day when we got home, and um, we put the Christmas songs on, and we were chatting, and um, you know, George Michael came on, um, and we were chatting because he paid for some couples or a lady to have IVF and things like that. So just like chatting about that, and then, and this is so cheesy, but at the moment of the transfer when they put the embryo through, um, it was Mariah Carey, "All I Want for Christmas Is You," and um, and. It was like so cheesy, but I was like, this transfer is definitely going to work. Um, I'm actually I was being in, in uh, infertility style. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's obviously really naive of me, but I just had this feeling like um, my doctor, he was like, that was just like the transfer couldn't have gone any better. Just everyone was in such a good mood. Um, yeah, and it just felt really special. Um, and then, yeah, we came home and put our decorations up. And yeah, it was just like, I couldn't have asked for a better transfer, really. It was just so, yeah, really lovely. And then a really magical day putting up your decorations and things when you got home as well, because that's always special. Yeah. Yeah, we love doing that. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just, I couldn't have asked for like a nicer day. And um, so, yeah, that was really lovely. And then obviously I had the two-week wait, which was not so bad because I kind of was, I was expecting good news. So it would have been a big crash down if it hadn't been good news. Um, but I did start bleeding about a week after the transfer. Um, and I was on quite a lot of progesterone. I was on the pessaries and injections. But I said to the doctor, oh, I'm bleeding. Can we just check the progesterone just to make sure? He said, yeah, come in. So he came in and he said, look, whilst you're here, let's just check your HCG. You're having a blood test. Wow. I was like, oh, God. Um, so he checked. Oh, I can hear Percy. No, it's okay. If you need to grab him, just grab him. It's fine. Well, I think he's just having his nappy change. So once he's uh, done, he'll probably come in for some food. And um, so, yeah, the doctor checked my HCG. And and so I spent the whole day, like, waiting, 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 because I knew the progesterone wouldn't have been low because I was taking such high mm-hmm. amounts and it had been checked before and it was high. So I kind of was expecting that it was, like, potentially, like, implantation bleeding or something like that. Um, and, yeah, the doctor phoned and said I was pregnant. Um which, yeah, felt almost a bit in disbelief because before when I had the twins, I just did a pregnancy test. Whereas this time someone's telling you you're pregnant and you're almost a bit like, really, am I? Um, and obviously I did have to do a pregnancy test just to check for myself. <laughs> Are they right? This doctor, this person who's been to... <laughs> Get it. Yeah, yeah. So, that, yeah, that was, that was the beginning really. And then um, obviously then you're on like a whole different roller coaster, aren't you, of now I'm pregnant, now I have to kind of go through this again. And, you know, the first 12 weeks is always quite tense anyway. I did have a bit of a dramatic start. It seems like such a long time ago. I ended up going to A&E on Boxing Day. That was fun. Um, wasn't too much so <laughs> I started bleeding on Christmas Day, I think. No. Um, and didn't want to kind of ruin everything on that day. So kind of just didn't say anything and um, and I must have only been about six weeks pregnant and um, and so the next day I finally was like oh no like let's go to A&E um, and that was like such a waste of time the, they had no idea what they were doing they tried to do an abdominal scan you know like just rubbish really and um, 
And so I just like left with absolutely no reassurance that everything was, oh, they did an HCG actually that came back like obviously normal. Um, and just had to wait until my scan at my clinic, but because of like Christmas and new year and things like that, the clinic closes. So I had to wait quite a long time for the first scan. Um, yeah. And he was in there all fine. Wow. So you, between finding out you're pregnant, you didn't have another scan until after Christmas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was scanned weekly. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I mean, I would have loved that, but yeah, no, so I didn't, I didn't actually have, I would think I would have only been like seven and a half weeks pregnant or something like that. So it actually wasn't that long, but I'd found out only a week after the transfer. So that was like when you're three oh, weeks pregnant. So actually it yeah. did feel like quite long. It did feel like a really long time to wait, but at the same time, I know this is going to sound really funny, but I kind of thought, well, if, if it goes wrong now, it's better than it going wrong later. Yeah. I know that's just it's not a nice way of looking at it, but yeah, <laughs> having had a later loss, <laughs> I, yeah, I just thought like, oh, well, if it's going to go wrong now, like let, just get it out of the way sort of thing. So when you had your scan at the clinic, what, what was that like? How did that feel? Well, I had to go by myself again because we were in lockdown Um yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that just feels so surreal, doesn't it? Like now I look back, you know, I, well, I had bad morning sickness again. Um, yeah, you just kind of feel, I don't know, like, I guess a bit detached from, I guess a bit detached from it all really. There's, there's not really another way to say it because yeah, you don't look pregnant. I felt rubbish, but <laughs> I knew I had such a long way to go that I, yeah, it's hard to be excited, really. Yeah. And when did you start to tell your family and friends? Oh, so we told um, our both sets of parents straight away, um, but then we didn't tell anyone else <laughs> until I was like 25 weeks pregnant. <laughs> Not your sister or anything? Oh, so, no, we told, sorry, we told my sister and my brother when I was about 15 weeks pregnant. Um, but yeah, we just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't talk about it even though I thought it was really obvious, like at work, I felt like everyone knew because I was like green, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just couldn't, I just didn't want to talk about it. And can you explain that? Basically when you get pregnant, everyone's like, Oh, congratulations. How lovely. And I didn't feel that way at all. I didn't feel like how lovely. I just felt like how terrifying. Um, so I didn't really, I just couldn't, I just couldn't really engage with people being happy for us because not that I wasn't happy, but there was just many more emotions rather than just pure happiness. It was very mixed. Yeah. So I just didn't want to engage with other people trying, trying to be happy for us. Do you think, do you feel like there was any point in the pregnancy where you did, where you were able to relax and, and enjoy the fact you were pregnant and feel that happiness? Or was it always quite a mixed bag and, and sort of quite anxiety fueled? Oh, it was really, I was really, really anxious. There was like a few weeks where I would feel kind of okay. I would say between about 28 and 31 weeks, I probably felt like okay. But other than that, <laughs> I felt three weeks. Really, <laughs> three weeks. Um, yeah, they were the only times that I felt kind of a bit better, basically. It was 
yeah, very, very long. And I would, and I was quite surprised. So I lost the twins at 21 weeks and I had sort of hoped that once I'd got to viability that I might feel better about it. I didn't. Um, at all it didn't make me feel any I mean obviously I was relieved to get to viability but it did not did not make me feel better at all because I just thought well well you know yes they'll get he would get to go to Nikki but but you know still not great is it to have a baby at 24 weeks or still not great to have a baby at 26 weeks then at 28 weeks I did feel like oh maybe it'd be okay if he came now and then to 31 weeks. And then after that, I was just getting more and more anxious that something bad was going to happen the closer it got. Just felt like it could all be taken away at any moment. And it, it was just terrifying. I, it, now I can't even, I know it's only been seven weeks, but I'm like, wow, I can't believe I had to live through that. It was, it, it just it feels like this huge weight on you the whole time. And um, did you have anyone to talk to? Obviously, you've got James and your family, but did, was there anyone professional? Did the clinic offer anyone or did um, your hospital offer anyone for you to kind of offload to? Um, so I was rejected from perinatal services three times. Um, I was really disappointed. I, area. Sorry? Because you're out of area. Uh, no, so it's done in your local area. So they, you get referred to your local perinatal, um, but they just weren't interested at all. So I asked at booking to, which is, you know, your first midwife appointment. I know you know that, sorry, but for everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so at the first appointment, I said, I want to uh, be under perinatal. And so the midwife did the referral and um, I had a telephone consultation. And they were like, no, you don't meet the criteria. Um, and twice more, I asked and had another referral because I felt like I wasn't coping. And twice more, they rejected me. And um, so, yeah, like, though, oh, I had, I feel really bad about saying this, but I had, I was, I self-referred to IAPT, which is like a local mental health service. I mean, it's national, but it's local to your area um, and found that really unhelpful. Um, yeah. So I basically didn't have any professional support at all. That's the end of it. And, and the clinic doesn't, the actual facility clinic doesn't, doesn't offer anything that's not part of the service. No, they discharge you at 10 weeks. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had amazing midwife care. Sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's not. It's, and what about when you, when did you start to feel him move? Oh, super early. Like, I almost feel like you're not going to believe me, but I could feel him from about eight, nine weeks. Um, yeah, just really, I know it sounds mad because if someone said that to me, I would be like, no, you're not feeling that. Um, but I, I, I was. And yeah, I felt him super, super, super early, really, really early. Oh, that's incredible. And was he like, did that offer you any reassurance at all? Or was it something else to worry about? Um, I mean, I was, no, at that gestation, obviously I wasn't worried like about movements it was just quite nice like these it was really small really subtle and um, I guess the movements is very well can be very anxiety inducing and um, fortunately he was fine I, I I went in for reduced movements once um, and actually that was on a day that he turned from breach to cephalic and um, so I think the, the movements were different and yeah. um, that was, was like 28 weeks and um, so he actually was very good and wriggled the whole time which was really nice but I was very conscious of like is he moving is he moving and what about work did you continue to work throughout the whole pregnancy 
Um, no. <laughs> so I went, I, yeah, basically when I got to 22 weeks pregnant, I went a bit loopy, basically. I couldn't, couldn't really cope. Um, so I was admitted to hospital at 22 weeks because I thought I was going into labour. Um, and I stayed in hospital for five days um, yeah, with like threatened preterm labour, basically. And after that, I just couldn't go back to work. It was just, I just was like, oh, I just need to make sure that everything's okay. And so I didn't physically go back to work, but I did go back to work because I started working from home. Okay. That's good to think yeah. about that. Yeah, I think I had like a month off and then I started working from home. I think it was from like 26 or 27 weeks. Um, obviously, that's just because of COVID. They let me start like a little bit earlier. Um, so that was really helpful. Oh, that's great. Amazing. And um, in terms of uh, like being able to buy things for him, were you able to, to do any of that? So when... I, we got to viability 24 weeks. We went and bought one baby crow. Um, and that was all kind of I felt comfortable doing. But um, James and my mum were very much like, you're going to have to buy some things. Like, you, you're going to have to buy some things eventually. Um, so I can't remember how many weeks I was, but we did start buying like the furniture and things, mainly because... Um, James was very much like, we're going to have to buy things. And I mean, we left it all like really, really super late so that nothing was going to arrive in time for him to be here. Um, but actually, and actually in the end, it did all come in time, but the lead times were so long that, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to arrive in time. Um, but yeah, so we bought, yeah, we did buy, I think there were some sales on, but basically if it was up to me, I wouldn't have done it. But James was very much like, we're going to have to buy some things at some point. Looking back now, are you pleased you did that or would you prefer to have done it your way? Um, no, I did like, I did like looking at it. I mean, looking at things online definitely felt even looking at things in the shops. I guess there's like a bit of a distance there, isn't there? You feel a bit removed from it all. Um, and I didn't let us unpack anything for ages. So we just had boxes everywhere. We were also trying to like decorate our house at the same time. So yeah, we did. That was a great distraction. Um, so yeah, there was just boxes and a bit of chaos everywhere. So it didn't really feel like we were waiting for a baby, if that makes sense. It felt like there was chaos and we weren't going to be ready. So that felt in a way a bit better. I think um, Lisa will be able to uh, relate to you at the moment um, from Rainbows and Renovations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, she was doing real renovations, isn't she? Uh, um, and his birth, when he arrived, how, was, how did that feel? Oh, it's, again, like really surreal. It's because I was having a planned cesarean, you know, someone just hands you a baby and then... Um, what was We've had two planned cesareans and that kind of car journey to the hospital is the most ridiculous car journey of our lives. We're just looking at each other going, so we're off to, it's like going to the shop. We're off to buy a baby. We're off to get a baby. Like, you know, the next time yeah. you as the female is going to be in the car is going to be with your newborn. And it's, it's, it's the weirdest, weirdest thing. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think there's ever any way of getting used to that sort of strange kind of waking up in the morning and going, okay, let's go have a baby. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's madness, isn't it? And I would say even 
even on the morning, I was still not sure that there was going to be a baby. And we did have a bit of excitement on the morning. So this is like quite a fun story. So we, um, I'd had a scan at 35 weeks and he was head down and I knew he hadn't engaged. And because of my tack suture, it's very high on the cervix. It's basically the bottom of the uterus. So I knew it'd be very difficult. In but- case anyone hasn't listened to your previous podcast and shame on them, they should go back. But um, what are <laughs> you about with your tax suture? Sorry, what was, what I didn't catch the suture. Oh yeah, so um, it's, so it's a, a stitch, which basically holds the cervix closed, but it's at the very, very top of the cervix. It's basically the bottom part of the uterus um, and it just holds it all shut so that I, in theory, wouldn't be able to go into labor. Um, and you can get various stitches. So I actually had two. I did have one vaginal stitch at the bottom of the cervix, which came out at the cesarean and then this abdominal one, which is right at the top and that stays in there permanently. Um, it stays in even after the operation, after the cesarean. Yeah, that's it now. It's in there forever. They don't take it out. Um, So I knew it'd be really hard for a baby to engage their head in the pelvis because this stitch is so high. And and I felt that he wasn't engaged. Um, But so the scan at 35 weeks, he was head down. um, And on the morning of the cesarean, the doctor said to me, "Um, well, let's just do a really quick scan to check the position. And I was like, head down. Um, And... I was just so sure that he, he, I didn't know it was a he, but I was like, the baby's head down. I had a scan two weeks ago, his head down. And um, he was like, oh no, let's just double check. And I just thought, oh, okay, if you really want to, but why? Um, Anyway, so they went and got the scanner, laid on the bed and uh, he was breech. (laughs) And I had no idea that he had turned at all. I hadn't felt it. Well, there you go. It's probably a good thing because when they're breech, it's I can I can vouch them right underneath your ribs and they're dancing on your bladder. So it's 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 not great. So it's a good thing you didn't notice. And what, yeah, what I didn't did you, um, choose not to find out the um, his sex. Um, just because we really liked to, we wanted to have a surprise. We didn't find out the sex with the twins either. Um, so yeah, it was just a just we just liked the idea of having a surprise, and it was a really really lovely surprise when we did find out that he was a boy. That's amazing. And well done for everybody for keeping that quiet with all the scans. Um, I think that's a good effort when you have so many. So Yeah, absolutely. So you, you had your, your plan cesarean and you were um, presented with, with him. How, just, can you talk us through any of that? Well, again, it's just such a surreal moment. I couldn't believe that he was a boy. I mean, he had a head full of hair, which was really dark, um, which I wasn't expecting. And then you'd have to look after a newborn. So you don't even really, it's one of those things where you're just completely thrown in the deep end, aren't you? Like all of a sudden it's all about feeding and changing and all of those things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a hu- you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this human being now. It's madness. And he was, yeah, so little and, yeah, I mean, even now, <laughs> I'm like, is he ours? Like, did they put the right embryo back? I don't know. It's like, just seems like, can't believe that it's finally happening. I very much had those feelings as well. And I remember when I got my, um, back to the room after having the cesarean and I noticed her head and she has a, a double crown. Um, and I have the same as like, okay, she's mine. It's fine. It's okay. 
Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I can't see any of me in Percy, so I'm like, is he mine? Who knows? But he's mine now. So. Uh, I have to be honest with my son as well. I was like, oh, you don't look anything like me or him or I don't know. And with, um, with the pregnancy, with, with you and James, because obviously you, you've said like how, how anxious you were and um, how, how was your relationship? Oh, it was really, really good. Like James was amazing. He was so supportive. I um, was so paranoid that I didn't do, I didn't lift anything. Like I didn't walk very far. Um, I was basically a potato. Um, and so James like took on a lot of stuff to help. So he would do like a lot or any, anything that was heavy lifting. Um, yeah, just lo- like loads of help around the house, but just like emotional support as well. So it, yeah, it was, I was very nervous the whole time. And um, yeah, and he was really, really understanding and supportive. And I always felt, yeah, that he was, that he was there and he was on board. I mean, he's, it's very different when it's not inside of your body. Like I was overthinking every single tiny little twinge um, and saying, you know, is this normal? Is this normal? I don't know. Like I'm frightened, blah, blah, blah. And he was just very good at, you know, helping me rationalize it. I think he thinks he's like an honorary midwife, basically. <laughs> Maybe he should be. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and had you discussed baby names? Yeah, we had, we still had them. Um, so obviously we had boys before, so and two of those names were taken. So we had kind of, we had one boy's name. Yeah, we had, we ended up with a boy's and a girl's name that we both really liked. Um, yeah. So that was easy. Done. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And what was it like introducing Percy to your family? Oh, it was so emotional. So emotional. I feel like, you know, four years in the waiting, there was just so much anticipation Every yeah, I feel like we'd all been holding our breath for nine months. Yeah, it was it was really 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 special moment, and it was I'd, I'd almost forgotten that Percy isn't just ours. Like yes, theirs as well, and that was really nice. Yeah, that's really special. And now that he's here, how is your anxiety? Oh well, obviously, like I feel like it's much more normal. So like just normal mum stuff, like is he breathing? <laughs> is he feeding properly? You know, all those normal things. Um, but I do kind of look back and think, wow, that was like a different life, like going through all of that worry. Um, and I almost, I've said this to James, like quite a lot, like, could I put myself through that again? It, knowing how bad it was, because I think there's like a certain naivety of, I knew I had to do it if I wanted to have a baby, whereas now I have a baby. So technically I, I don't have to do it again. Um, Obviously, at some point, I would like another baby, but I don't know if I could put myself through that again because it was so heavy, basically. Do you think it would be the same second time round, third time round? Um, I think it would be different. Like knowing that I have brought Percy home, hopefully, would make me feel more confident, and hopefully, I'd be so distracted looking after him that I'd have less time to worry. In theory, I don't know. Like. I don't know if pregnancy after loss gets less scary the more times you do it. Yeah. I don't know. And have you found um, that being a midwife has impacted anything um, about early motherhood? <laughs> yeah, I've realised that we don't know anything at all, <laughs> especially about breastfeeding. <laughs> I've noticed that a lot from your posts. Like, uh... 
Yeah. So I would say that the only thing that I knew about breastfeeding was latching the baby or like positioning an attachment, like the theory. I don't feel like I knew anything really about what it's actually like. So, you know, we always say, oh, the baby will feed eight to 10 times in 24 hours. That's a minimum, minimum eight to 10 times. Like he fed way more than that. Um, and just the, the whole thing of like, oh, he didn't want to be put down. When, when mums would say that to me, I'd be like, didn't, I didn't really understand when they say he doesn't want to be put down. He does not want to be put down ever. <laughs> and just the, yeah, I just felt, ma- yeah, massively, I'd say massively unprepared. <laughs> it's so interesting. That's really interesting. So do you think when, even when you go back to work, it will change who you are as a midwife, how you practice? Definitely. Like when I'm teaching people about breastfeeding, I feel like obviously everyone's experience is individual, but I don't really feel like people talk about how relentless it is and how, how actually, how really, how difficult it is. And I've I've been really lucky. Like I haven't had any problems with like latching or things like that. Like I've not had any pain, but like how like limiting it is. So I have to, and I know everyone's the same, but because breastfeeding doesn't really fill them up for very long. It's just constant, constantly feeding. So I'm always thinking about like the next feed, the next feed or like car journeys, you know, I couldn't go. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't really go more than like an hour and a half because then you have to stop and feed him because he'll cry. Like they're just not full for very long ever. So it's just always feeding. And I feel like that's not spoken about enough. Like people, I guess we, even though I, people know that breastfeeding is hard, I thought it would be hard from like getting the latch right yeah. sort of thing. But actually that wasn't the hard bit. The hard bit was, well, is actually feeding, you know, the, the, just the relentlessness of it. Yeah. No, I'm with you hundred percent. I'm still there. <laughs> 21 months. It's awesome. Uh, I always joke that there's literally nowhere in Dubai that I have not fed her in the swimming pool, in the sea, in the mall, in the phone shop, in the toilets. Like it's all, but I wish I'd kept a list actually of the places we've fed because it's, it is constant. And obviously not now she's bigger, but when she was smaller, um, do you use a sling? No, I've got a carrier, but not a sling. Okay. Oh, same, same. But you need, yeah, just get on board with learning how to latch him in that. And it's a life changer because then you can carry on. Um, like if you're dog walking or something, um, you can carry on with your dog walk, get him latched on. You have to sort of wiggle around a little bit. Um, and then everyone's happy. You don't have to stop everything. I just found that literally changed my life. Um, but I don't really have much option because I'd be doing a school run or something. And like, oh, she's hungry. Okay, we'll make this work. And um yeah it, if you can figure that one out then it's a, it's a good handy one um, and then also around the house as well because he can feed and you can make dinner or um whatever it is you need to do around the house and two hands <laughs> like that amazing thing. yeah and I, I saw you said your wrists are sore as well um so it takes that obviously it'll take that pressure off your wrists and give them a break while allowing him to feed too um, yeah I mean it's because I'm really naughty and I don't just sit down and feed him I'll like you know, try and cook the dinner or yeah. whatever else whilst holding him. And then because you can't, you just, you just, you know, you can't sit down for another half an hour when you've got, you know, you've got things to do. So you walk around one armed feeding, don't you? And no, absolutely. I had a lot of that with, with Bertie, not with Sybil, but with Bertie, my, my wrists were so painful. I, I really feel for you with that. 
Yeah, that was quite unexpected as well. I mean, I only knew that it was a thing because a friend had had quite sore wrists. Um, and actually, once I, when, I, when I posted about it, hundreds of people were messaging me like, oh my God, my wrists were so sore and I didn't realise that it was a thing. Um, so now, I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have known unless a friend had told me, but it's so painful because all of the weight is going in your wrists. And yeah, I need to be better at just sitting down and, you know, feeding him. But because he's just feeding so often, if I don't get up and do things whilst feeding him, I will not leave the sofa. And I know everyone says like, oh, just enjoy all of those cuddles. Well, I am enjoying them, but there is a point where I need to have a wee and have some lunch. And so, you know, you do have to get up at some point and he won't be put down. So I'm going to have to, you know. Maybe maybe try a soft sofa when you're in the house because um, then you, you're able to do a bit more because um, they're, they're soft and they're not sort of as bulky as the carriers. Then um, it gives you a bit more kind of flexibility and, um, and they don't, you know, I, I always found that right, it's easier to sit down and um, I don't know, just because they're softer, um, it's a little bit more um, easy around the house, but maybe not so good once they get bigger out and about because uh, I, I didn't find them as secure as a, as a sling, but um, it's mm. really worth having a go. It might, it might help, you know, from mum to mum. And you're seven weeks in. No. How, do you, um, do you feel like it's it's made you kind of grieve um, Cecil and Wilfred in a, in a different way? Yeah, absolutely. I I guess I was like quite shocked with all of the emotions that kind of came flooding out. Like I feel like I'd spent you know a few years trying to suppress all of my emotions and and not let myself get upset, and then all of a sudden you've got this huge rush of hormones and you can't really stop it all bubbling about and. I think it just made me really sad to think about all the things that I've missed out on with them. And um, yeah, or just, and well, and also in the same way, I also felt like, Oh my God, how would I have managed with two? And then you were thinking that like, because I would have just managed because, you know, you just get on with it. But at the same time, I found it really, yeah, really confusing. He's like, relieved that there's only one of Percy and there's not two and then I feel bad for thinking that and then I've just missed yeah I've just kind of thought yeah just really really sad I've just been really sad about it and then Percy does look really similar to them as well um which yeah is also sad but lovely all at the same time um and Obviously, we're sitting here like a year on. Um, have you got any advice for anyone who um, was sort of sitting in your seat last year? Oh, sorry, does that make sense? If they're where you were last year? Do you know, it's so bizarre that last year, like I've had a transfer, a pregnancy, and I've got a seven-week-old baby. Because if you told that to me, you just can't ever imagine actually that happening like obviously that's what you desperately want and that's what you're working towards but I could like if you said to me last year oh you'll have a seven week old baby I'd be like oh great but actually will that ever happen and the only thing I can say is the only the only thing that just kept me going was just like day by day just thinking oh I've just got to get through today I've just got to get through today um and always just being really hopeful that it would be our turn eventually. Um, but one thing I would say is that 
once once you have the baby in your arms, like you're still infertile, like you still all of that kind of baggage that you've been carrying around, it just doesn't automatically go. And that has been quite surprising. So if you are kind of, yeah, not got the baby in your arms yet, don't imagine that having the baby is the fix all because obviously it is amazing and wonderful. And I'm so happy and so thankful, but also it's complicated as well. Like Percy hasn't fixed all of the stuff that's happened. Obviously I'm beyond happy that he's here, but actually I would say that's where the hard work of processing it all has to start. You can't, you can't necessarily process it all whilst you're in it. You have to, it's only once you're out of it that you can start to process it. So I guess this is the start of having to process it all. Maybe the perinatal team will, will step in and help you do that. <laughs> have you got that? Hold my breath. Is it too early yet to um, start making any mum friends or anything? Um, have you started that process? Oh, yeah, that was like a thing I was quite worried about when I was pregnant. So I didn't want to do any antenatal classes for a few reasons. Firstly, I kind of resent paying for antenatal classes when I teach my own classes and feel like I don't need someone to tell me the theory. But I would have liked to have made some friends. That would have been my reason for doing it. But where I live, the only there's only one brand of antenatal class which is the very large brand that everyone has heard of. Um, and I don't really want to spend all of that money on that. Um, and then also at the same time, I didn't really want to have to sit in a room with everyone who was very excited about having their first baby and didn't want to be like a Debbie Downer of like not being caught up in all of that excitement or just having to explain to like a room full of people what had happened. Um, so we decided not to do antenatal classes but what I did do was join Peanut, the app, um, and I met one lady who um, lives at the end of my road, actually, who also has an IVF baby, who's born three days after Percy, so that's quite nice. Um, and I think, hopefully, when I start like getting a bit more confident to go out and about, I'll be able to meet some mum friends that way. But even then, I'm still a bit nervous about it because, you know, having to explain that he's not my first, but he is sort of the first baby that's come home. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's never, it's never easy, is it? Exactly. And um, I guess that's the question, I suppose, have you thought about how you'll, how you'll approach those conversations? Well, like even, even before Percy, I would, um, you know, it depends. If you're going to see that person again, then I might explain that he, is not our first baby but if I'm never going to see that person again and it's just easier to be like oh yeah he's the first then I'll do that yeah I think it just depends on the scenario really so um thank you for speaking to me and Percy's been a little superstar I mean you might not feel like it but <laughs> he's quite you can really hear him squirming away <laughs> um is there anything else you would um you like one piece of advice you wish you'd known or anything else you'd love to say to other people um that perhaps um wasn't obvious to you so at the time when I was pregnant I did not love it it you know it just felt like so precarious all the time like I was just always worrying that something was going to go wrong and that you know he was never going to come home and now that he is here 
I actually do sort of miss being pregnant a little bit. And I never thought I would say that. Um, because I feel like, and I couldn't appreciate it at the time, but I definitely appreciate it now is how special it was that he was there growing inside me. And um, also it feels very bizarre that that ever happened. Like, I'm like, were you inside me? Like, did that happen? Um, and one thing I'm really glad I did was take loads of photos. And I know that can be quite difficult when people are pregnant after loss. But the reason that I did it was because I really like having the photos of me pregnant with Cecil and Wilfred. And I wish I had more. And so I thought the same thing of like, all goes tits up. I want to have lots of photos because they are really special. Um, so I took loads of photos. And I'm so glad I did because, yeah, it's just really nice to look back on. I'd also say from, from my own experience that um, they like looking at pictures of you pregnant as well. They like knowing that that's where they were. Um, so my eldest loves seeing, I haven't actually, likewise, I don't have loads of me pregnant with him, but he loves to look at them and go, oh, I was in your tummy, that's me. And, um, and it's a really special time for them as well to be able to reflect back on them. Do you feel like, um, it's probably, it might be a daft question because you've very much got your hands full and very busy now, but is there a bit of you that um, kind of misses the IVF or misses the routine of it? Or, um, you know, because it, it was pretty much a full-time job for you um, for a long time. Oh, it was a full-time job. Um, so I will say that I was thinking about IVF again, like the day he was born. I was like thinking, I just had my IVF head back on straight away. Not to say that I would start straight away, but it's become so much a part of my life that, it's hard not to think about it. Like, so I was thinking about, Oh, has my delivery affected, you know, any future transfers or all things like that. So I, yeah, I would say that my IVF head is still firmly there. Um, and I kind of said to James as well, like almost, I just want to get it all out of the way. Like I just want, I would actually really love to just say goodbye to the IVF life. Um, which means that, you just have to keep going, don't you? Like, if you want to have another child, for me, it's going to be IVF. So that means I'm still going to have to be thinking about it. So part of me is like, I just want to do all of the IVF, get it all done, and then I never have to think about it ever again. Um, and then other days, I kind of think about it in a more affectionate way and think about how lucky we are, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, other days I'm like, God, this stuff is horrible. Like, just do all the IVF, then shut that door and never think about any of that again. Do you still have, because um, you did lots of egg collections, do you still have embryos frozen? Three. Okay. So it's a possibility then. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, thank you very, very much for speaking to me. And um, I know people are going to be so pleased to hear, um, got to hear your story, um, part two. Um, so thank you for your time. And thank you to Percy. Um, he's been a little superstar and um, if anyone wants to find you they can find you on your Instagram yeah yeah at the infertile midwife is that going to change still infertile <laughs> amazing thank you very much Sophie have a super day thank you for having me thank you for listening to Sophie's story I really hope listening has brought to some of you hope for the future but more than that, I hope it's helped to educate us all in how to support families through pregnancy after loss. Thank you for tuning in and I'll be back next week with another very special guest.
Bye.